Grant texted me Tuesday afternoon saying that all the stories from the OU beat media surrounding the Sooners' Monday appearance at Big 12 Football Media Days were all basically identical. So does that mean us journalists are all on the same page? You know, sometimes we're just really good at sifting through all the minutiae and finding the most important nuggets. Or does that mean Oklahoma did exactly what they wanted to do, which was stay on message? I think the answer is a little bit of both. It was not surprising that everybody's ears perked up a little bit when Lincoln Riley said this Sooners team has the chance to be the most talented he's been a part of in his four years in Norman. Yet Riley added the caveat that it's probably the most inexperienced team as well. To me, that was the biggest headline-worthy takeaway from OU Stinnett Media Days. Sure, the news that the quarterback battle continues may have been headline-worthy to some in the national media, but to those of us who follow this team on a day-to-day basis, we know Lincoln Riley has been saying for months that Kyler Murray still has to win the starting job. Yes, we all assume Murray's the starter. It'd be a massive story in the college football world if he wasn't starting week one against Florida Atlantic. Yet Riley, though, must keep up appearances out of respect for Austin Kendall. In fact, Riley made it a point to say that inside the walls of the OU program, everybody knows the QB competition is much closer than we all in the public perceive it to be. Riley talked about leadership being incredibly important for the success of this team in 2018. After all, when you lose Baker Mayfield, there's going to be a natural leadership gap until somebody fills it. When Riley spoke about the offensive leadership in particular, the first person he mentioned was Rodney Anderson. Not too surprising there. Rodney isn't the most outspoken guy, but he does have a certain aura around him of cool confidence that I'm sure his teammates love. Also, Anderson, incredibly hardworking and somebody who leads by example. But it was when Riley talked about defensive leadership that I heard the most interesting thing all day. The first person mentioned was sophomore Kenneth Murray. In fact, Riley called Murray the heart of the defense. I got a chance to ask Murray about that later on on, uh, during Monday, which we'll discuss later on in the show. But the fact that Murray was the first defensive player out of Riley's mouth in regards to leadership wasn't even the most interesting thing to me. It was the next person Riley mentioned, sophomore cornerback Trey Norwood. So to recap, potentially the two biggest leaders on the Sooners' defense are a pair of true sophomores. That bodes well for the future of this defense, but I'm not so sure that bodes well for the present. We'll discuss that and so much more here on today's show. I'm Lee Benson. This is West of Everest. Stryker got a running start, goes down the pocket, hits the quarterback, and it's intercepted. Jordan Thomas with a convoy to the end zone. And the Sooners are smelling blood as Stryker hit Rudolph and Thomas took the pick to the house. It's July, time to showcase a former Sooner who wore number seven. Therefore, we go with Jordan Thomas. His pick six in Bedlam back in 2015 gave the Sooners a 34-10 second quarter lead in Stillwater. OU went on to win in blowout fashion, 58-23. Welcome into another edition of West of Everest. I'm Lee Benson. Grant will join me in a moment. I'm back in Oklahoma City after covering Big 12 football media days for the first time. I'm relatively rested, but apologies are in order for the delayed podcast this week. I know we said this episode would be out on Wednesday, July 18th. We're a couple days late. That's not cool. 
We do appreciate, though, all of you who listen to the show and support the show. Hopefully, the extra prep time we've used for this episode makes it better than it would have been if we released it a couple of days ago. Okay, so a decent amount of news has come out since our last episode back in June, but the biggest event slash story, obviously, is Big 12 Football Media Days. And to nobody's surprise, it was pretty boring. I got to say, not a lot really happened. But since this is an Oklahoma football podcast, we've parsed through all the boring stuff and have found all the tidbits that you should care about. We'll go over what Lincoln Riley said about the talent level of the Sooners, how leadership is pretty important, and of course, the quarterback situation. Also, Kenneth Murray was easily the best Oklahoma player soundbite in Frisco. I got a chance to ask him a lot of questions, including his reaction to zero Sooners being named to the preseason All-Big 12 team. We'll tell you all about that. So without further ado, let's welcome Grant into the show. Grant, it's been uh, nearly a month. Welcome back. It's good to be back. And I just wanted to say right from the get-go, yes, I realize that it is July and the number of this month is seven. And yes, I realize that DeMarco Murray wore number seven at Oklahoma and he just retired from the NFL recently. There is a reason why we do not have a DeMarco Murray soundbite. It's because, one, we've already used his best run as an Oklahoma Sooner, that one in 2007 against Texas. It's a great call, uh, by the way, the good TV call. There are no other good calls of any of his runs. They're all terrible. I couldn't find any good ones um, because they're all the... Lee, do you remember the... Um, it's different now, but Fox Sportsnet used to have a completely different kind of college football coverage. Ever since Fox took over the Big 12 media rights, it's gotten a lot better. But there used to be a guy, and I can't even remember his name, but there used to be a guy who pretty much called every single OU game on Fox Sports. And I just can't, I, I can't stand his voice, and he's really boring. And uh, anywho. <laughs> yeah, I know. I think I know who you're talking about. Pretty much every single DeMarco Murray touchdown run came when the, when the Sooners were playing on Fox Sportsnet, and that guy was calling the game. So none, I mean none, of those calls are, are noteworthy or even usable on this podcast. So that's why we went with Jordan Thomas. I wanted to say that right from the get-go. And yeah, speaking of DeMarco Murray, congrats to him, hanging him up, uh, still relatively young, the all-time leading touchdown scorer in OU history. And uh, at News 9, the day he retired, I went back and, and I went back and found his final touchdown that he scored at Oklahoma, and it came in the Fiesta Bowl against UConn in that game where Oklahoma blew out UConn. And uh, even that touchdown call wasn't particularly great. Uh it was a nice play by Murray, though. He took a took a handoff and kind of got stopped in the backfield a bit and was able to use his vision and, and worked out of the pile of bodies and then scored from like four or five yards out. So yeah, I, uh, again, I, I yeah. pretty much went through video of every single touchdown that DeMarco Murray scored at Oklahoma. He had some incredible touchdown runs. And the only one that had like there is a good audio TV call of it. Is the one is what is the one from the Red River Shootout in 2007? That is the only one. All the other ones were from the Fox Sports. And I'm gonna get that guy's name for next week just so I can drop it. Uh, but there's, I mean, there was one run in particular where he probably ran a total of like 150 yards on the play, and it was like a 65 yard touchdown run, and he just kind of ran around everybody. The, the guy calling the freaking play just doesn't even say anything for half of it. It's just it's. I don't know. It was a bad call. Was that the uh, long kickoff return touchdown against Baylor? I think no, that wasn't one the one. Years? But it was it, it, that was that was one that was on my on my short list. But the call for that was terrible. Um, there okay. was one in particular. Oh. It was against um, it was against Texas A and M in 2010. He had like a 65 yard touchdown run that was just incredible. He changed like he 
you know, changed direction, changed, you know, opposite ends of the field a few times and kind of ran backwards a bunch. And that's why I said he ran about 150 yards. Just an incredible run that really deserved Gus Johnson or Brent Musburger or someone calling it. Uh, they were playing a, you know, like a like a two and six Texas A&M team. So, yeah, so the, the, it wasn't a, a prime time, big time game. So that's probably why they got the, the same old announcer for it. So. All right, let's shift from DeMarco to Big 12 Football Media Days, and we'll start with Lincoln Riley, all of his comments for Media Days. And um, even though I said the most interesting thing was the whole leadership discussion, especially when it came to the defensive leadership, let's start, Grant, with the quarterback situation. Uh, He was asked, Riley was asked in the, the main media portion when he was at the podium, you know, how how are things going to be different with Kyler Murray starting and and you know, of course, that was like a national media guy. And Riley, had, of course, immediately say, well, you know, Kyler Murray still has to win the job. And uh, there's still a battle between him and Austin Kendall. And then he also added, like I said in the opening take, that uh, inside the walls of the program, they all know that it's a lot more uh, it's a lot closer than we out here seem to think uh, it's going to be. So really, I guess that's a headline that the quarterback competition continues into fall camp. Uh, but really, it's not that surprising because we knew that he would say that. Uh, it would have been a huge upset if Riley named Kyler Murray the starter this week. So um, not a whole lot there. Uh, Riley does mention also that the offense will be tailored to wh- whoever wins the battle at quarterback. Uh, but he did emphasize that they got to make sure to first get the starting quarterback correct. That's the first order of business, which is not surprising at all. So, uh, Grant, your thoughts at all if, if any on the quarterback situation anything that you heard at media days I'll start by just coming out and saying like right from the top Kyler Murray is going to be the starting quarterback on September 1st period that's what's going to happen having that been said uh Lincoln Riley almost has to do this and there's you know there's lots of equations that or there's lots of variables that go into the calculus here um you can't just you can't just give him the job but I think that's a you know that's a psychological thing. Um, of course, you said you kind of got to massage Austin, Austin Kendall in the situation as well. Um, I, I think there's a lot to go with it. Do I do I think they've made like a you know like an official decision in house? Probably not. It's one of those things where I'm sure just everyone knows that he's going to be the starter. And I, I I don't really think you even need to not even really going on much of a limb of saying that. Go back to spring practice, just some of the sound bites from the from the assistant coaches whenever they had media availability. You can read between the lines pretty easily that I mean they were basically saying Kyler Murray is yeah he's incredible, uh, he's he's going to be the starter. Um, so I, I think he he was he was saying exactly what he has to say. All right, so I'm going to go ahead and throw a curveball at you, Grant, and I just came to this. Uh, it's not a conclusion. This thought, this theory today, as I was prepping for the show. So let's play a little game of am I reading way too much into this? So here you go. So go ahead and let's I'll, I'll, I'll throw out my my scenario, my theory, and you let me know if I'm reading way too much into this. So Riley mentioned that both Murray and Austin Kendall are each good enough to start at Oklahoma and whoever wins the job, the offense will look different than it has been, which is not surprising because Baker Mayfield's gone and Kendall and Murray are different players than Baker Mayfield. Okay, uh, I'm not surprised to hear him say that both are good enough to be the starter because I think that's true. I think that 
if one of these guys was gone and the other was there by themselves, I think, uh, you know, if Murray was gone, it would be obviously Austin Kendall starting. If Kendall's out of the picture, I think it would be obviously Murray. And at this point, Riley would have already named his starting quarterback. Uh, but they're both there because I, I do believe both of them are good enough to start for Oklahoma. Now, I don't have the sound for this from Riley, but I'll just tell you what Riley said as he was asked to compare and contrast the differences between Kendall and Kyler Murray. So he started with Austin Kendall, and Riley said Kendall is a great pocket passer, very smooth, very good with progressions, sneaky good athlete. Then he went on and talked about Kyler, and he said Kyler, his athleticism jumps off the screen, uh, which you don't see that often at that quarterback position. And he also added, Riley, that Kyler is a better thrower than he probably gets credit for. Okay, that's all he said about Kyler Murray when comparing and contrasting. Then Lincoln Riley went on to say that when you talk about tailoring an offense to a quarterback's strength, sometimes you're talking about physical strengths. But a lot of the times, to me, it's mental strengths. What can they process? What do they like? What are the different plays that complement their thought process and mindset? There's a lot that goes into it other than how well they throw it or how fast do they run. Now, here's the part, the part where I'm going to ask you, am I reading way too into this? So Riley mentions very specific things about Austin Kendall, the pocket passer. You know, he's, he's smooth, very good with progressions. And then with Murray, he just mentioned the athleticism, which everyone knows about, and that he's a better thrower than maybe people give him credit for, which we all kind of know that he's a good thrower. He's, he's a baseball player, for God's sakes. He's a, got drafted. He's going to play Major League Baseball one day, most likely. Uh, probably, yeah. I mean, he's a first-round pick. Uh, then... After that, he mentions that when tailoring an offense to a quarterback, he looks at the mental strengths, maybe even more than the physical strengths. So is it actually possible that Kendall is just better mentally than Kyler Murray and Riley It truly is wrestling with who's going to be the starting quarterback? Sure, it's possible. I think it's unlikely. Um, because what he did was just describe what makes a good quarterback. And just because he didn't say that for Kyler Murray, that doesn't necessarily mean at all that that doesn't apply to Kyler Murray also um I I, th- I think it's fair to bring that up but I, I let's let, let's be real I, Kyler Murray's going to be the starter there's there's just he, he just is I, there's just he, he wouldn't come back um you know after getting drafted ninth overall with a five million dollar signing bonus if he wasn't going to be the starter and I know that's what uh, I think Jason Kersey was the one who asked Lincoln Riley that and I mean he's right He's right. And so, you know, Lincoln Riley's got to say whatever he's got to say. But the fact is, Kyler Murray would not have come back if he did not know that he was going to be the starting quarterback. Uh, just period. I, I agree. I agree that Murray's going to start week one. Uh, what stood out to me, though, the main thing that stood out to me and the reason why I wanted to bring this up is that Riley specifically mentioned that Kendall is really good at, at his progressions. And we all know that as a quarterback, going, your, going through your progressions is such an important facet. He didn't mention that with Kyler Murray. He didn't mention and, – and also, you know, Kyler, he's really good at going through his progressions too. Uh, so to me, that means that that part of Kendall's game really stands out to Lincoln Riley. And I think there's a scenario where deep down – as, as uh, Riley is watching film and seeing these two guys practice, and granted, it's only been spring ball, and, and sure, you know, Kyler played a lot last year too. Kendall was redshirted, so Kendall didn't have a chance to play. Uh, all of these instances of, of watching tape and seeing these guys progress, there's a scenario where Riley, in his mind, deep down, is thinking, you know what, Austin Kendall, actually, I think Kendall really is the, the better fit for this setup, but... 
I got to go with Kyler because of all the outside noise, the the extenuating circumstances with baseball, and just the 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 unknown of his athletic ability and, and how that can translate to the team, um, and just to see what happens. So like I I can see that where Rowley could his gut could be telling me, you know what, I really think Kendall is the guy, but I got to go with Murray because that's the obvious choice, and he's he's earned the right to be that that starting guy right away. What do you think about that? I think it's fair to ask, but I think you just you you put together an entire story based off of pure speculation. We don't know any of this stuff. Um, I, I just think the evidence that we have really does just point towards Kyler Murray being the starter. And I, I, I go back to one, you know, he's been here for three years, the whole baseball thing, and that he's still going to play this year. I mean, this has been a thing, you know, they've known this deal for about three years now. I think this is this, this has kind of always been my point. I, Kyler Murray is... I. He might be a special player. I mean, that's kind of what, that's the sense that I get when they talk about him, when you hear about him. Uh, I, I just, I, I understand where you're coming from. And I know you're just playing devil's advocate. And, and here's the, I think, you know, I, I, I think Austin Kendall is good enough for the Sooners to win a Big 12 championship this year with him playing. I really do. Um, I think this is a good problem to have. Um, I, I just, I, I really think Kyler Murray has this job locked down. I really do. I'm just super cautious with Kyler Murray because when I hear you say, you know, he could just be a, a special player and I hear fans and, and media people get really excited about Murray. It all just sounds like the exact same stuff that Aggie fans and Aggie media people three years ago were saying when they were getting excited about Murray at Texas A&M. And that ended up being a disaster. He was and a true people, fre- he's a true freshman, and this is not a this is not a Kevin Sumlin team. And it's not an offense that's that's coordinated by Jake Spavadol. And that's uh, that's the logical counter counter argument to that. That absolutely and I, and has I, to be part of the calculus. You. And, and you know what, Kyler Murray, you know, had had an up and down true freshman season. But uh, you're, you're lying to yourself if you say that he did not have some flashes of brilliance at Texas A and M. He did for sure. Um, well, so. his flashes of brilliance came against South Carolina, and that was about it. Uh, he didn't do anything really against Auburn. And uh, he came in for like a series or two against Alabama and immediately threw an interception. Uh, so he, he yeah, yeah. I, mean, I just, he, I, I, I just, I, I really, I'm, I'm not sure. You know, pointing towards his true freshman season at Texas A&M with a, with a, you know, with arguably a below average coaching staff and honestly a dysfunctional program. I, I just, I, I don't. It, it doesn't necessarily wash for me. And this is a guy Lee who has been in this program now for three years. And that, I mean, that's that's incredibly significant. You, you can't tell me otherwise or you, you can't convince me otherwise. Yeah, I'm much I'm much more confident in Kyler Murray three years in the Oklahoma program with Baker Mayfield, and Lincoln Riley and company. than, of course, I was or I guess in hindsight with uh, Kevin Sumlin and Spavadol and that A&M program because that A&M, excuse me, the A&M program and that quarterback room was was pretty dysfunctional. Uh, yeah. with uh, with with Kyle Allen and whatnot so uh, so yeah that's just that's my uh, that's my addition of am I reading way too much into this just something to think about just something to kind of chew on a little bit it's after. something to think about you know what I, I understand where you're going with it and it's it's something that you want to put on record because you know I, theoretically in about a month and a half it could make you look really good uh, but you know I people forget you know Kyler Murray and Austin Kendall have been in this program for the exact same amount of time they came in at the exact same time um, you know, so there's really no leg up there. Um, hey, you know, Austin Kendall is is, is going to be a really good quarterback for Oklahoma in 2019 and 2020. I just want to point out again, too, although both players were relatively underwhelming in the spring game because the weather is bad. I 
I thought at the time Kendall played better than Murray did in that game. He looked more of the part to me. He had all the weapons, uh, too. Uh, I don't know about that. I mean, there's it was pretty the, the teams are pretty evenly put together and and uh, you know matched up as we discussed before it. So again, I just I think uh, I think Murray's going to start. I think everyone knows that. Uh, you know, Riley's keeping up appearances because he has to. But uh, I think it's just something interesting because again, I think Austin Kendall's a good player. And uh, oh, I do too. I, I was and I, I know you do. I know you do. And and I remember there was a time where we were discussing this, and I think at one point when we were talking, you know, Kendall or Murray, this is back maybe even before last season, obviously when Baker Mayfield was still here and I, or maybe going in. And uh, I remember some scenario, whatever you were talking about how like, Oh, I, cause I, I remember pointing out saying, Oh yeah, Murray. And I think it was the backup quarterback discussion before last year. And I said, Oh yeah, I think Murray's going to win this job. No, no, no problem. And I think you said, I don't know about that. I, I mean, Austin Kendall was really good and he looked good. And of course then Kendall ended up getting redshirted last year. So, I mean, there was a scenario, there was a moment wherever I think you were kind of on the other side with uh, your thoughts about Austin Kendall, you know, above Kyler Murray yeah, you know, let's, before last season. For sure, yeah. Let's be clear about this. I think we're having this discussion because Austin Kendall is is good. Like, and I think we we know and we think he's good. Um, like I said, I, this is a good problem to have. And, and, I, and, and I still think, I, I, I still think you're probably going to see quite a bit of Austin Kendall this year. Uh, whether or not it's, you know, whether or not it's, a, it's in garbage time or whether or not they have special... Or if they play both of them, but I, he's he's going to play a little bit this year. I, I I think that's you know that's that's for certain. All right, I'm not sure. That's let's let's move on to leadership now. As I as I try to transition this uh, from the quarterback spot, and now I'm going to try to pull up these sound bites so I get them ready for the show. Hold on, uh, this this is this is how I'm not prepared for the show. <laughs> I mean, this is for I mean the the whole leadership angle is was for sure my takeaway from from media days that's obvious that that's what that's what Lincoln Riley was trying to get across and that's obvious. I mean generally when I hear that I take that as he thinks he's got a pretty good team and this is the one thing they really really need to work on um at least I and then I'm I'm going on that because that just kind of seems like it seems like it, that seems like a very Bob Stoops thing to do and Lincoln really has just kind of been in the mold of Bob Stoops or at least you know how he handles himself in front of the camera and whatnot um, so I think he comes to this thing and I, I mean, I think the whole him just hammering on leadership, that's, that's obviously by design, I think. Good job there, Grant filling time as I found the soundbite. Boom, for Riley. Baby. So I will, uh, I will, I will continue with, uh, the, the setup to this. Uh, I, we do have sound, we have sound from Lincoln Riley and then later on we have sound from Kenneth Murray. So, um, what I was going to say is that I'm not sure I remember a coach hammering home leadership as much as Riley did on Monday. And this might be an instance of, of recency bias on my part because it just happened. But Riley said leadership on this team is critical. The young, talented players need to grow up in a hurry, maybe even ahead of schedule. And that if this team reaches its potential, it can beat anybody. Now, that's, that's coach speak, ultimately, right there. But in OU's case, as we know, it's true because Oklahoma has the horses and the talent to beat anybody if everything comes together. So here's what Lincoln Riley said about offensive leaders so, i mean i think rodney anderson you know definitely is one of the first names that comes to mind i think he's ready for that role and has, has started to really embrace that role um you know and we're gonna have to get some more leadership from our offensive line because we do have some some guys that have been, been through it some multi-year starters that are very good players with ben powers drew samia you know jonathan alvarez uh bobby evans i mean those guys have been through a lot of wars with us and so we need them to, to step out and do that. That was Lincoln Riley on offensive leadership. 
Rodney Anderson the first name out of Riley's mouth. Now, I asked Rodney how he felt knowing that he's the first person that Riley mentioned when it comes to leadership. Anderson said it meant a lot coming from his head coach, but he thinks that this Oklahoma team is full of leaders, and he just falls into that team of leaders, which is something a leader would probably say. So, Grant, uh, your initial takeaways from all of this leadership stuff. I know you, you talked about it a second ago as you were trying to buy time for me, but uh, what else do you have to add to this? I'm going to go super specific my because I want to go back to him you know, talking about the offensive line and that he mentions Jonathan Alvarez there. That worries me. That really worries me, Lee. Um, and I think we've, we, we've kind of got, well, yeah, I think we've kind of gone into this a little bit, but I've said, you know, if, if Jonathan Alvarez wins that center job, that's, that's, that's a bad omen for the offensive line. Um, Jonathan Alvarez is, you know, unless, Hey, I'm, I hope I'm wrong here. And, you know, it's very possible that in his redshirt year, he got a lot better. And, you know, I'm, I'm never going to complain about, you know, bringing a guy back who started in a college football playoff game, like Jonathan Alvarez did two, you know, two seasons ago. But John, Jonathan Alvarez is, you know, he's Eric Wren. There, there's a reason Eric Wren took the job from him. It's because he's a lot better player. Uh, Eric Wren was a walk-on. And I, I'm just, I'm, I'm concerned. Um, I, I just, I'm really not sure that, uh, you know, an offensive line can be as effective as, say, it was last year with, with Jonathan Alvarez as your center. I, I, it's, this is one of those things where I, I, I really wish, I, I'm just hoping and praying that Creed Humphrey wins this job because he's, he's the more talented player. So, um you know, we'll see. And of course, you know, there, there's a lot of stuff that goes into the center position, you know, obviously, you know, uh, you know, calling out keys and uh, identifying blitzers and whatnot. And, you know, they, they kind of set the entire protection for the offensive line. So I know there's a lot that goes into it. Um, but I, I think it was, it was pretty important. I think, you know, for Creed Humphrey to take that step and win this job. And I'm, um, I don't know. And maybe I'm, I'm reading way too much into it, but uh, th- that's the thing that really stood out to me, Lee. I'm, uh, the other guys, I think, are a cinch, but Jonathan Alvarez was kind of the forgotten guy, and um, it's just a little surprising to me. I thought, you know, he was. I thought maybe his red shirt last year was a signal that maybe he had been kind of recruited over. Well, the hope is that for Jonathan Alvarez, getting red shirted a year after, like you mentioned, he started a college football playoff game and he got his job taken from him, and then again, you know, told to sit out a year. The, the hope is that that really lit a fire under him, and and got him to where he took it seriously, took the, the year off seriously, hit the weight room more, learned the position more. And now he's come back here going into 2018 with the thought process of, hey, I'm the I'm a I'm an older guy. I'm a veteran on this team. I have the experience. I'm going to win this job and I'm going to take it from this uh, this red shirt freshman Creed Humphrey. And that's the thought process. Uh, also, too, you could also make the the uh, maybe the claim that, OK, well, on the offensive side of the football, Riley, when it comes to leaders, is just trying to name all of the the veteran players. You know, the Ben Powers, Drew Samia, Jonathan Alvarez, Bobby Evans. You know, on the offensive line, he said we need more leadership there, and all the guys he mentioned were all players that have been in this program for for a while. He didn't he didn't mention any of the younger guys, and maybe that was on purpose because he wanted to signal to the the veteran leaders of this team or veteran players of this team that hey guys, it's on you, figure this out, and so. Uh, maybe uh, those are two different uh, two different thoughts that I, I kind of had as, as you were saying. I'm I'm not as worried about the Alvarez Creed Humphrey thing uh, just because I think Bill Beatonville is such a good coach and and I think no matter what he'll figure out the best guys to have on that line. And so if Alvarez is starting, it's because he's better and, and he's improved and and Creed Humphrey's just not quite there yet. That's the way I would read into it. Yeah, yeah. I just yeah. You know, I just want to remind it. I mean, the last time we saw Jonathan Alvarez and you know 
I mean, he was he, he was just being completely outclassed by Ed Oliver of Houston. I mean, didn't even look he, like he belonged on the same field. So um, that was the last time we saw him. So that's that's all I I want to you know I want to mention. And then yeah, you're right. You know, if Jonathan Alvarez wins the job, it's probably because he deserves it. And you know, I, I'm not around these guys all the time, so I don't know. He he may have improved greatly. We'll see. We'll see. I, I'm not sure. And you know, it there it, it is not insignificant that you know Jonathan Alvarez is a guy who has started you know double digit games in his career and has started in a college football playoff. So um, that's not insignificant. I'm just I I was really hoping that uh, you know Creed Humphrey would kind of realize his talent and take the job, and he still might. He still might. So I and you're you're right that you know with your explanation that he was probably just thinking of you know the guys the experienced guys, and that makes sense. Um, but man, I was after everything we heard about Creed Humphrey, I was kind of hoping that this was, you know, he was just going to step into the role and just take that job. And I'm not sure that's necessarily, you know, what it looks like right now. So Jonathan Alvarez being mentioned was kind of the big takeaway for you. For me, uh, when he mentioned that, first of all, mentioning the offensive line in general needs more leaders is, is interesting because of how good that unit was last year. And of course, they lose uh, Orlando Brown and, and Eric Wren. Uh, last season, am I, am I missing somebody else too that they lost? That, that there's the, the literally the only those are the only okay. contributors that they lost on the offensive line. Everyone back from the everyone is back from the two deep, and so uh, the offensive line is is in good shape again. It should be in really good shape going in. Yet it still needs leadership. Uh, to me, uh, it was notable that he said Rodney Anderson by himself, and that was the first person he mentioned. And then he talked went on and talked about kind of a group of people. To me, it was notable that he didn't also say Bobby Evans, you know, was the leader of the offensive line because he's this guy that we assume is going to step in for Orlando Brown, play left tackle. Uh, even though we saw him play right tackle in the spring game, we're just kind of assuming that he's the next NFL tackle going uh, for Oklahoma. Yet he was buried at the bottom of the uh, the list of offensive linemen that need to to be better lead or not be better leaders, but just the list of guys that have had experience on on this roster. So. Uh, is, was it notable for you that uh, Bobby Evans was kind of buried in there with Alvarez and, and Drew Samia and whatnot? Yeah, you know, I'd be lying if I said I, you know, I, I kind of wish that he was the, the very first person out of Lincoln Riley's mouth. It doesn't bother you as much that, you know, his powers that he talks about, because, you know, powers does kind of seem to have that sort of, you know, kind of alpha personality. Uh, but, yeah, you know, Bobby Evans, we, we haven't really heard much from him, you know, in his time in Norman. We, we know he's a really, really good player. Uh, but, you know, when, you know, when, the, when that offensive line has been anchored by Orlando Brown for three consecutive seasons, you know, he doesn't necessarily get the limelight. Um, and I don't know if he necessarily has, you know, the same reputation as, you know, being just like a mauler that Orlando Brown does. But uh, he certainly has got the reputation of being, a, a, you know, a technician. And he's, you know, he's, there's a lot of people out there who thinks that, you know, he was the best offensive lineman in the Big 12 last year. That's, that's an opinion that is shared by lots of people. So, um, I don't know. Yeah, that's a good point. I, I it, it would have been nice, you know, it's, it's generally nice when your best players are also your leaders. Um, and I'm not going to say it's concerning, but uh, I, I think this is probably going to be a huge theme, Lee, of, this, of maybe this offseason and any sort of time that Lincoln Riley's in front of the camera. I, I, I got to think that leadership is going to be talked about. And if you recall, going all the way back to that one and two start in 2016, you know, they harped on leadership a lot. They said it was it was their lack of leadership was the reason why they got off to a slow start. Maybe this is them knowing that and they're trying to get ahead of it. And uh, remember, we we uh, you and I have talked, you know, going back to whenever we were predicting starters, you know, and, and who's going to be there at left tackle for Orlando Brown, and we thought, of course, Bobby Evans will shift over. But then in the spring game, we saw Evans playing right tackle, the same spot he's played. 
there and that was confusing. Um, and then I, I was just kind of like, okay, maybe maybe we missed something. And so I went back and, and looked at previous articles and things like that from the spring. And I was just trying to see if there's any news on Bobby Evans. And so I came across this article by John Shin who had Oklahoma diehards. And he's got a quote in here from Bill Biedenboe saying that, you know, Bobby Evans was our best, uh, best offensive lineman last season. I said it and I still believe it. He was the most consistent guy and other guys were good too. But I think just week in and week out, just consistency, he was the most consistent guy. And I think he's actually even more comfortable on the left side. He looks better to me on the left side. All right. So that was Bill Biedenbow in March. So before the spring game. So it sounds like based on those quotes, you know, Bobby Evans is a left tackle. So it's like, why did we see him then playing right tackle in the spring game? Was it just based off of the rosters they had? And so I was just... Uh, to move it forward a little bit, I got a chance to talk to Ben Powers at, at Big 12 Football Media Days, and I don't have any sound from him, and, and honestly, not a lot of stuff that Powers said I, I remember being that particularly interesting, but, um, and, and I'll go back and, and listen to some of it maybe after this podcast, and if anything jumps out at me, I'll, I'll uh, come on back and, and bring it up next show, but um, I asked Ben Powers, is it, is it a bit weird to, to not have Orlando Brown next to you because he's been there you know, by your side? And he said, no, I mean, I'm comfortable. He's comfortable with whoever else is there. And, and I asked, you know, who's who's it, who's been there? And, you know, he said Bobby Evans and Cody Ford were battling or like or were kind of going in and out switching. So, you know, he didn't give me a straight answer of like, oh, it's it's Bobby. Bobby's there next to me. So anyways, the point being is the whole this whole left tackle thing. I still think Bobby Evans is going to play left tackle, but it it doesn't seem to me to be 100 percent. Evans is at left tackle, which is. It's July. It's getting closer to training camp. That's that's something significant, I think. And I also want to bring up it's it's certainly possible that Cody Ford is a stud as well. You know, he's he's been, he was a guy who got hurt in 2016 against Ohio State. He's a very very highly thought of you know guy when he was brought in. Um, you know, this is going to be a second season back off of a you know a season ending injury from 2016. It's very possible they were just trying to you know get their five best guys on the field, and maybe they were just given. Cody Ford an opportunity to win the battle just because he's a good player um that's possible having that been said I I think you know it's yeah and so I I actually went back I was watching um I watched the vast majority of the of the Texas game for whatever reason from this past season uh this this last weekend um I totally forgot that Cody Ford played that entire game Ben Powers didn't really play much in that game um Cody Ford looked really good in that game so I, it kind of it kind of renewed my my optimism for Cody Ford. You kind of forget about him because he was sort of like the sixth offensive lineman last year. Um, he's good. That guy that guy's a mauler. He's a really good player. He's a plug and play guy, man. I'm telling you, he can play guard or tackle. Even though you were convinced he couldn't play tackle. Yeah, just, you know, hey, I'm. It's I, I I thought you know if he's gonna play tackle, he probably needs to lose about ten or fifteen pounds. Uh, yeah, you know, maybe maybe he will or has you know who knows but that, I mean that was a guy I mean that's you know Texas probably had the best defensive front and you know in the Big 12 last year and he I mean, he's big, big dude and he was he was more than holding his own so I think a lot of people sort of forget about Cody Ford but um, I mean this offensive line's going to maul this year man they're going to maul they're going to run the ball really really well this year all right let's talk defensive leadership because this is where Riley said some of the super interesting things that I've kind of touched on a bit uh, in the show. So let's start out with uh, Riley's thoughts on leadership from his defensive players. You know, defensively, Kenneth Murray, even though he's just going to be a sophomore, you know, he's a Mike linebacker. He's kind of the heart of our defense there. And so we, 
uh, and he's ready to do it even though he's a young age. Uh, I would also put Trey Norwood in that category. I feel like he's ready to do it. Amani Bledsoe, Neville Gallimore have been some other guys that have really stepped up as well. So the, the potential is there, kind of like our team in general. The potential is there. Now, you know, what are we going to go do with it? And uh, those guys are going to be very key. So that's Riley on the defensive leaders. Uh, Riley saying that, again, Murray is the heart of the defense. And then he mentioned Trey Norwood as another leader. who He's a sophomore as well. Uh, now, Lincoln Riley you know, talked about how <laughs> there's just going to be a lot of young players, not, not many seniors starting defensively. And actually, we have a soundbite coming up in, in a little bit when he touches more on that. But, uh, man, I... <laughs> It's it's very interesting to me that uh, clearly they're high on Kenneth Murray, and uh, you know I'm not surprised that he's going to stick there and play Mike Backer just because even though he had an up and down season last year, it's just when you play that many snaps at the same position, you play the entire year, it just it's worth something even if you don't play every single snap that well, and uh, he's it sounds like going to be the player that Oklahoma <laughs> needs to be to be really smart and make a lot of good calls and make a lot of plays. And, uh, you know, you and I, and, and most other people will all say, well, Buki is also the incredibly important player too, but hearing uh, Trey Norwood's a leader out there. I know he's a player that, that, uh, I'm, I'm higher on Norwood than, than you have been grant. I, I, I think Norwood as a, as far as a, a guy in pass coverage and, and that aspect of, of the game, I think he's, he's the best corner, at least compared to Parnell Motley, when it comes to tackling, I think Motley's a little better at, at that, and, and, and Norwood needs to gain some weight and be a better tackler. But uh, for me, it's it's nice to hear Norwood was mentioned as, as leader of the defense. Uh, your thoughts on that quote from Lincoln Riley? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's uh, that's clearly, I think, you know, the, the Trey Norwood thing was the thing that surprised me the most. It doesn't surprise me with Kenneth Murray. He's, he, 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 as always, kind of struck me as a leader. Now, how do I feel about, you know, him already, I guess, taking that step his sophomore year now and he's, you know, being the heart of the defense? How do I feel about that? Pretty wishy washy, to be honest with you. Um, because, you know, if we're gonna be completely honest, um, you know, I, I think I think Kenneth Murray's talent oozes off the screen. I think he's the most physically imposing linebacker um in well over a decade at Oklahoma. Um, but if we're gonna be honest with you, he was bad last year. He was not a good player last year, um, overall. I think you know if 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 you if you put stock in such things. I mean, he was he was graded like in the 40s by Pro Football Focus last year. That's that's atrocious. Um, was he really? I never I never yeah, saw his grade. Yeah, he was like yeah he was like the lowest graded linebacker in the Big 12 last year. Um, he's bad wow. last year. I mean, there's there's no doubt that he was bad last year. Um, so I'm, it's uh you know having that been said, he is saying all the right things. He seems to be a film junkie, which I know you probably really love, and that's um. So it's I I don't I think it's it's a cinch that he's going to get better. Of course he's going to take a step forward. Is he ready yet to kind of put it all together, be the leader of the defense, and be like an all Big Twelve type guy? I'm not I'm not entirely sure. I'm really not. That would be I, I just based off of his play from last season. That would just be a massive massive jump in quality. Um, and I I hope that he's there. I think I think he's got the talent to do it. Like I said, I, this guy is I. He did flash last year at times, um, and like he he does say all the right things, and you know he seems to be a hard worker. So we'll, we'll see. I'm I'm I feel a lot better about it after listening to him speak 
you know, then when I first when I first saw the you know the soundbite or the quotes from Riley saying he was the heart of the defense, I my my very first reaction was, oh crap, that's not good. Uh, but you know, after listening <laughs> to him to him speak, I, I understand where that comes from now because he does kind of command the room, and you can tell he's confident. Um, but we'll see. I mean, yeah, you know, Kenneth Murray having a good season is if, if Kenneth Murray has a really good season, I think the defense is probably going to be good. I, I think that's, you know, how good I don't know. But if if Kenneth Murray is the lead, or is the player that he can be, and if he kind of realizes it this year, I think the defense can be really good. And you know, the same goes for, uh, you know, for for Caleb Kelly at at, at the uh, at the will spot too. I think in a lot of ways, the defensive success this year kind of really hinges on those two guys having good seasons. Um, and if they do, I think they can really make the defense a lot better. A couple things. Uh, we do have Murray uh, sound. We have three different clips. So you mentioned uh, it was nice to hear him talk and hear what he had to say. So we'll we'll hear what he has to say here coming up. And also, too, uh, you know, you've been critical of him. I've been critical of him. I mean, it's not just us. I mean, it's just anybody that has eyes. You can see that that there's, uh, you know, he had a lot uh, of things to improve upon uh, based on uh, some some plays from last season. Uh, however, though, some of the sound bites you'll hear, he's um, he listens to it. He uh, he's heard the criticisms and he's not happy. Uh, he's a competitor, and um, we'll play that for you here coming up. So um, the question is, and, and we've been. We've talked about this a million times, and, and Lincoln Riley's been asked about this a million times. How does Oklahoma get better on defense? How does it improve its defense? And, again, Riley's been asked different variations of that question multiple times since the end of the season, and he was asked again on Monday that very same question. Now, the first thing Riley said was that we've got to recruit, and I think our talent level needs to increase, which we're on the way to doing that. Let's listen to the, what the rest of uh, Riley's answer to that question was. I feel like some of our best talent defensively right now is kind of from our freshman and sophomore classes. You know, we're probably only going to play with one, maybe two seniors defensively this year, which is uh, alarming in some ways. But it also, I think, shows you that we've been on a nice run recruiting here the last couple of years. And so... I think that's. I think that is to me been our number one issue. As our we've had good players, don't get me wrong, uh, but our talent level has not been the same as some of the other elite def- defenses in the country. In addition to that, Riley also mentioned consistency needs to be better. He feels great about his staff and that he doesn't think Oklahoma is far off from being the defense that they want to be. Now, Grant, my main takeaways from from this uh this soundbite from this riley quote is that the oklahoma defense is going to be young this season but very talented uh and i'll just uh, reiterate what i said in the opening take this sounds great for the future of the program not so sure if i'm extremely confident for the present day of the oklahoma defense though uh what are your thoughts on the fact that uh um the defensive players most of the talent is from the freshman and sophomore and there's not gonna be a lot of seniors starting yeah, you know, hey, I, I I agree with him on on his point with the talent. It's true, you know, the the talent on the defensive level has has not been as good as it has been in in decades past. I think that's clear. Having that been said, I don't think the talent's bad. It's not at all. I still think they're, you know, I, I think Texas certainly had a more talented defense last year, and I maybe TCU, and that's probably it in the conference. Um, I, I still think there's no excuse for being the 106th best S and P defense. Um, they're 
they they were more talented than that. And so my my problem with the quote is, you know, him focusing so much on on recruiting. The implication is that there isn't a problem with the scheme, and that's just something that I completely disagree with. Um, maybe not necessarily the scheme, just it, it's more of just like the, the mindset. They, it's the the, the non aggression and kind of the passive defense that needs to change. That absolutely needs to change. Um, and I can't think of a better time to do it than when you have a bunch of young players. I, I think you should get out there, tell them to play fast and play aggressive. That's the, by far the best way to have a young defense play. And, you know, I'm not confident that that's going to happen. The, and, and of course, that's probably reading, probably reading way too much into a single quote. Uh, but, you know, I, 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 God, they've got to be more aggressive. They have to. And if they're not, they're, they're not going to get much better on defense this year. I'm actually glad that you mentioned that. I hadn't even given that much thought, which is uh, it's kind of funny because uh, a large portion of our discussions last football season and in the off season are just about how we're just not fans of the three four. We don't like the way uh, uh, Oklahoma implements that. And uh, on my end, I, I like to talk a lot more about the secondary. I'm not a big fan of the way they they have they they shift certain coverages or they play off the ball. Or they don't jam. They don't they don't go th- get up there and challenge receivers. So and I hadn't even thought about that really when it came to uh, you know Riley's quote and and I know that's something that you're you're just annoyed by too scheme wise uh, I guess the only hope and we'll have plenty more time to discuss this moving forward is just uh, does Bob Diaco do anything to come in and shore up that three four base defense and make it more effective and also uh, this I, year who knows I, I think I mentioned this to you too Lee and they they I mean they're really not base three four I mean they they really are a multiple defense. And I said this many times. They they really were in four three alignments a lot last season, just using Oboe as a defensive end in that alignment. So um, they did that a lot last year. I'm not saying they weren't ever in a three four. They were, but how they were doing it, they they really did. They had they were having four three like kind of gap tendencies for their defensive line, and Oboe was acting as that defensive end. Um, I don't like that. That's not a huge because Oboe's not a defensive end. Um, and also their defensive linemen, you know, in the middle were, were not necessarily the greatest difference makers either. Uh, I, I think a lot needs to change and, and it's going to start with being more aggressive. And it, it always is. They, they, they got to give the defensive line some help. Um, yeah, there was a lot of it, it just I actually went back and randomly watched the first series of the Texas Tech game. And uh, if, as you remember, that was the, the, the game, the first series where. They were playing just two down linemen, and they had Oboe as that was a, a three man stand front. up, yeah. And that was essentially a three four. But uh, the, what I got out of that is just watching that drive is Texas Tech realized pretty pretty quickly that hey, we can run the football on this on this team because they're only playing three down linemen. They're playing their linebackers like five, six, seven yards off the ball. Let's just run it, and we're going to be guaranteed at least five yards every play. And that's basically what it was, and it just seemed like. Gap responsibility was an issue for the front seven for Oklahoma. They didn't, especially the linebackers, like they just didn't really know which gaps they were supposed to attack and be responsible for. And again, I'm not an expert when it comes to the front seven and linebackers, things like that. But that's just what it looked like, because I, you know, I we've, we talked about this months ago. Hey, this summer, you and I are going to look more into this three, four, understanding the way the defense works, understanding responsibilities from each player. And what comes with that is which. Uh, which gaps each defensive lineman is supposed to be responsible for, which gaps the linebackers are supposed to be supposed to be responsible for. And in that game, just kind of looking at all the different gaps that uh, it looked like each player in the front seven was supposed to be filling and making plays on, it looked like Kenneth Murray was confused sometimes, looked like Emmanuel Beal was confused sometimes. And Kenneth also Murray Caleb was Kelly. confused all season on stuff like that. 
You know, mm-hmm. I mean, that was a, that was an all season thing. Um, and yeah, it, I think it's fair to bring up. It wasn't just wasn't just Kenneth Murray. So um, still, yeah, I mean, it's a. Uh, I think you know we had a we had a discussion. I think this was when we were. It was right at the end of spring practice. I think it was right when we were. Um, predicting our you know the starters at the end of the season I had a listener call me out on Facebook for something I kind of got wrong in terms of alignment and stuff like that and that that really sort of made me want to go you know look into it more and educate myself a lot more on that stuff Um, and that's that's when I started I've I've gone back and kind of looked at everything Lee that's what I said that's that's why I'm saying they're in a 4-3 a lot of the time last year and they were Um, just not your traditional 4-3 that that you see a lot so um uh, it's it's interesting for sure. So I you know I'm I'm so uh, interested just to see what they do. And I know a, a lot of the season really does hinge on on the guys that they need to take a step forward. So just like you know on the defensive line, the guy. I mean they they need Neville Gallimore and Amani Bledsoe to have big seasons. They need Kenneth Murray and Caleb Kelly to have big seasons. Um, you know, and I think that's that, that's probably their their best case scenario is that you know those four guys I just mentioned, if they take a step forward and turn into all conference caliber players, um, the defense is probably going to be good, and they can probably get away without being so aggressive, which I think is probably not great for you know the future of the defense. But you know, and of course, I'm going out in left field now, just getting excited talking OU football. But um, mm-hmm. uh, so how I, dare I, you? Yeah, I know things need to change. I, I just I, I would really much rather see an attacking style defense, and especially with you know Lee, this is going to be the deepest secondary they've had since I mean in probably 15 years. They got a lot of guys who they can throw back there who have some experience and can play. Um, and so and they keep getting commitments. They keep getting four four star secondary commitments for the future. It's just they're it's incredible uh, the secondary that they're building up. And so you know, and I got I, I think they got they got four guys right now who I think can play you know uh, above average to really good man coverage uh, with with Motley Norwood Trey Brown and Jordan Parker and, and maybe even Buki as well. You know, as as a slot corner or playing safety. Uh, that's that's quite the weapon. If you got guys who can cover in the secondary, um, you know, there's there's some historical evidence to suggest that that's when Mike Stoops is at its best, and when that's when he's more most comfortable, and that's when he starts to dial stuff up, is when he feels like he's got a lot of help on the back end. You know, you just go back, you know, his uh, his good his his quote unquote good defense he's had at OU basically just 2013 and, and 2015. He had all the pieces. You know, his that 2013 he had his his big nose guard in the three four with Jordan Phillips. He had his uh, he had his defensive end, his prototypical three-four defensive end with Charles Tapper. He had Zach Sanchez in the back, or uh, in 2013, he had Zach Sanchez, and he also had Aaron Colvin in the back of the second secondary. A lot of people forget. Um, so we'll see. I think this is um, looking at it on paper. The secondary is is just the clear strength of this team, or at least the depth of it. And I really hope that they they take advantage of that. Uh, they got they really do got some guys who they can you know they can switch out of there without not a lot of drop off at all. Um, that's a weapon, especially in the Big 12. All right, let's move over to Kenneth Murray and all the sound bites that I was able to grab from him. Um, I got three different pieces of audio to play for you, and we'll just kind of play them and comment uh, whenever they're done. The first one uh, is going to be about the fact that Oklahoma's defense did not get one player on the preseason All Big 12 team. So I asked Kenneth Murray uh, his reaction and the team's reaction to that, and this is what he said. I, I can say something about that, but I'm not. Because um, at the end of the day, it's, it's not even worth it. I'm not going to sit here and, and be mad over a preseason. Preseason. The season hasn't even started yet. So I'd be hot if, if, if I wasn't on the, the real one. 
So um, that's really my main focus. You know, I'm not worried about no preseason, all this. You can be preseason, all that stuff. There's been a bunch of players that have been preseason, da 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 da, and been sorry. So, I mean, it, it is what it is. So I think it's, it's um, you know, it's not something that you should focus on. You just keep working, um, and the season will take care of itself for sure. The ballers should show up on Saturday. So Kenneth Murray uh, clearly not uh, not thrilled that there wasn't at least one OU player on that preseason All Big Twelve team. Uh, for um, let's see, as it, speaking of that, I I did have a vote on that, and the only OU player that I voted for uh, for the preseason All Big Twelve team was Parnell Motley. I had Parnell Motley as one of the the defensive backs preseason All Big Twelve. Uh, I got a chance to go back and look at more of his grades, and he actually had a really good pro football focus grade last season. Yeah, he's the only surprise. He's the only one that I consider. Uh, I don't. I don't have a vote, but you sent me the the ballot so I could fill mm-hmm. it out myself. He was the only OU player I considered, and um, I ended up not actually filling one out because I was looking at it and I was like, "Wow, this is uh, not not a lot of great players in the Big 12. There was. I, I feel like kind <laughs> of the the. I kind of feel like the the preseason teams were kind of nailed. They're pretty much right for the most part. So we'll, we'll talk about the preseason team, Big 12 all preseason team, or <laughs> the preseason all Big 12 team here in a bit. But uh, as far as uh, Murray's comments there, uh, clearly he has a chip on his shoulder, not happy about it, wants to prove people wrong. Um, and I kind of like this comment of, you know, a lot of people have been preseason lists, but basically he was saying that it hasn't, and a lot of people, it, it hasn't really amounted to anything once the season actually gets there. So, uh, you know, I'm sure he'll use that as motivation as, as well as other aspects and so will his teammates as well so uh once I saw no Sooners on that list I knew I had to get some sort of sound bite from from a defensive player about what their thoughts were and I think he delivered yeah that I mean I thought that I mean that was the correct answer from Kenneth Murray he answered that he answered that that question correctly so I mean that's good obviously (laughs) uh the next piece of sound we have is uh Murray just talking about the defense in general um, the first thing you'll hear is him saying that he's hungry. Uh, in the middle of it, though, um, I get a chance to ask him more about kind of outside noise, media. You know, does he hear? Does he listen to all the media stuff? And and uh, this kind of goes along the lines of, you know, what you what we were saying earlier. You know, we've given a lot of criticism towards Kenneth Murray, and uh, in this piece of audio, you'll kind of hear his thoughts on things that he has he has heard or he's read about him and his team? We hungry. Um, that's just how I'm going to put it. We're hungry. Um, every, every dude on the defense right now is hungry. We, we hear everything that has been said. Everything that has been said. Everything that, that, you know, every media person that said all that, all the stuff, and you know exactly what I'm talking about. We hear it all, and it's, it's driving us. It's making us 100%, 1,000% more hungry. So, you know, we've been in the lab. We've been working. Um, and so guys are just ready to hit the field. We're ready to get out there and get it going. And we're ready to, you know, you know, quiet the, quiet the, the haters, you know what I mean? I want to ask you about that because I was going to ask you how much do you read or listen to, you know, things uh-huh. like that. Has there been anything that you've read or heard that you think, man, that's not right? Or they got that, where'd they get that from? And if so, what, what was it? I mean, is there anything that pops out of you that you kind of think, oh, come on, that's not true? What, where did they get that? Um, I mean, it's it's a lot of stuff. I don't necessarily read it because I mean, it's it's kind of hard not to hear it, um, especially when you're a ball player. But I mean, it's been a few instances. I'm not gonna just bring up names on who it was, but 
uh, it's been a few instances, especially on my behalf, that, that stuff has been said that it hasn't been true, that kind of has made me mad. But, you know, it is what it is. You can't you can't really do nothing about it. It's, it's my job to play ball. It's y'all job to, to, you know, make up stories. So it is what it is. Tell the true stuff. <laughs> So clearly, uh, Kenneth Murray calling us both out there. He didn't want to name names, but I knew he was talking about the West of Evers podcast. Cause oh, absolutely. He's 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 clearly just speaking to me. Hey, I'll I'll be I'll be right on the record. I hope I hope Kenneth Murray has heard everything I said, and I hope he co- goes out there and makes me look stupid as hell. I really hope that <laughs> a lot. Like man, you have no idea how much I would love for that to happen. A ton. Yeah, I, I'm the same way, and. Um... It's always refreshing to me to to hear players talk about how they hear, they listen, they read all the stuff because man, if if I got to play Division 1 college football and it was as big of a deal as it is obviously in our culture in this country, I you know, I would always I would read the papers, I'd read and especially this day and age, man, there's Twitter and all this stuff. I mean, how can you not? And like you said, you know, how they they hear everything and they listen to everything and and as as a coach, you know, I I certainly would use that a lot as motivation as a coach too. I mean, and so I, it's interesting to me anytime a player talks about media stuff, just cause you know, I, I'm in the media media. I mean, you're basically in the media too. It's just, I like hearing players thoughts on it. Um, and at the same time though, here's the thing, Kenneth, I mean, and I know you've heard it. There's no way that you haven't heard it from your, your coaches and maybe not your teammates, but I mean, he knows that he made mistakes. He has to. So, I mean, some of the criticism is fair, and you have to be able to realize when the criticism is fair and when it's not fair. And so no matter what, use it, watch film, hit the weight room, and get better. And I think that's uh, what we're all hoping that Murray ends up doing for the 2018 season. And I think, I mean, it's, I think it's fairly obvious that he, that is what he is doing. Um, you know, his, uh, his habits of watching film are, are almost legendary at this point, which I know you love and I really love too. Um, I, I already said he's he is the most physically imposing linebacker I think we've seen in 15 years at Oklahoma. Um, he was for you know I my criticism of Kenneth Murray does not come from any sort of place of animosity. I'm I'm excited for Kenneth Murray. I think um, I, I think he is eventually going to be a really good player on this defense. Maybe you know maybe one of the better linebackers of the last couple decades at Oklahoma. I I, I do think that. Um, I, it's just it's it's more and I don't think he is a bad player. I think he was a true freshman playing out of position last year, and the results overall net were bad. That's that's all I'm saying. I think it's 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 within a ton of reason that he takes a big step forward this year and, and is a lot better. And I think it's it's kind of hard for that not to happen because I, he he's clearly a, a really talented player and just I, he's so physically imposing that I, I'm it's cool. I, I think it, it's been a long time since OU has had a linebacker like that. Well, from one, uh, well, he's a, a sophomore to be this year, but he, of course, was a true freshman last year. So uh, Kenneth Murray. Now, how about his thoughts on an incoming true freshman that we both think, pretty much everyone thinks is going to be a huge contributor this year, Buki Radley-Hiles. Kenneth Murray had some uh, pretty positive things to say about the uh, starting, what's he going to be starting at? Nickelback, corner, doesn't matter, strong safety. Buki's going to be starting day one against Florida Atlantic, and here's what Kenneth Murray had to say at media days about Buki. He's just a freshman, and that uh, you know he doesn't need to come in and be like the rah rah all type of dude. He understands that, he, like, like, you know, that he doesn't need to you know be you know 
screaming and yelling all the time and stuff like that, which is, which is, you know, which is good. Like he's being himself, which is. But at the same time, you know, guys do they rally around him and stuff around like that, and he's he's been phenomenal from what I've seen. Like on, on spring game, spring period. I mean, he ball. Every time he gets out there on the field, he's real smart. Um, we communicate real well. So you know, I've had a joy, you know, playing with him so far. And so I just look forward to the season, us getting out there for real and really getting out there and really getting, getting to it. So, I mean, it's, it's been real good, and um, I, I really like the kid. So the Buki Radley-Hiles legend grows even more grand, even though he's never played one college snap. God, it's going to really suck if he's just a total bust. <laughs> Don't you think? He's got so, I mean, much, just like he's the, got so much pressure on him, man. But I mean, it's, just, it's just really difficult for me to see him not be good. I mean, it's just... All the signs are pointing that way, and and yeah, we're we're two guys who I don't put a lot of stock into high school tape. I don't put a whole lot of stock into recruiting, to be honest with you, because I just think it's such a crapshoot a lot of the times. But when I've seen this guy play, and I said it, I sound like a broken record. I've I, I actually watched his tape in high school, and then of course seen him in the spring game, and just hearing about him. He looks like a player that's just so confident, and he gets it. He understands how to play defensive back at a high level. And I'm really excited to see some actual good defensive back play, uh, especially after. And I'm sorry, Jordan Thomas. It was just you were you were so cl- like Jordan Thomas. The theme of him last season was like he was he was there, but then he could never make a play. He was always like a half second too late, or it's and it was like every time. It's like how are you always just like a half second too late? Like so, I'm I'm really excited to see some good defensive back play, and I think Buki can deliver. I'm starting to think, Lee, I think he's going to be one of the starting safeties, actually. I'm starting to think. Just It's, it's just intuition. It's not well, that's what I he don't played have any in the spring game. I mean, that's what he, he played strong safety in the spring game, yeah, and, and I, he also I, I played think, a little bit of nickel when they had five defensive backs out there. But yeah, I, I think he's going to play some nickel, but I think, I, I think he's going to play a lot at, at one of those safety positions. All right, uh, just a note before we move on. Um, I mentioned Ben Powers a little earlier. Uh, Powers and also Amani Bledsoe was at Media Days. I uh, had a chance to talk to both of those guys, and, and again, nothing really stood out to me about what they said at the moment. So, uh, again, I might go back after this podcast, listen to those conversations again to see if anything else really stands out. Um, I did ask Bledsoe about uh, Bob Diaco and how, you know, if he's noticed any changes or anything that he's helped out with the defense. And I, honestly, I can't even remember what Bledsoe told me because so it must not have been that interesting he probably doesn't I I, I wouldn't I wouldn't uh, be surprised if he doesn't spend a lot of time around Diaco because I, I mean I don't, I don't know how much Diaco can actually interact with the like with the players oh he can he I mean he's he can interact with the team he's just he's not allowed to uh, I think he, he can't really interact with recruits I believe um, but as far as I know I'm pretty sure he can he's like a coach I mean I, I think he's allowed to interact with the team he's just a support staff i mean they can only have like what is it they can only have like 12 coaches or yeah. i don't even know what the numbers are anymore but he's not a coach uh, he's, he's just on the support staff well he's not in the um, sky during the game i mean he can have input during the games and stuff too and i it's not i can't imagine he's being banished to some no, different no, room just, during I'm, the week in practice and stuff like that yeah so. this is me just i'm i'm just i'm not 100 clear just like on the ncaa rules there that's that's all so yeah. Anyways, so um, those are the the other two players there because we've we've talked about Rodney, we've talked about uh, Murray. Uh, I would have would have grabbed some Rodney sound, but you know, is you know, most of you know Rodney Anderson very soft spoken. Hey, he had a couple of good sound bites, but nothing to where I really needed to play it for you. Uh, he's just an all around. He's a good kid. He's an all around good kid, and, and 
and he's he leads by example and you get the feeling that just everybody really likes him on the team um and he's just he says all the right stuff so uh plus he's just really he's really freaking good that too, too. that too um uh, more notes on ou that uh have have come out since our last show uh the jalen redmond stuff grant um dean blevins uh my my boss at news nine he reported that uh Redmond's expected to redshirt this upcoming year because of a medical problem. Um, Riley was asked about Redmond this week at Media Days, and he didn't have much to add on it, saying that Redmond's status is still to be determined. Uh, but if that is true and Redmond's going to miss the year due to a redshirt uh, because of medical problems, now that's two uh, pretty highly touted recruits on the defensive line, incoming freshmen that are going to miss the season. Of course, Michael Thompson, the other one who – uh, had an ACL tear, I believe it was, that uh, came out during the summer. So um, that's news. Um, I know you've been on record as saying that either way, you didn't necessarily think that those guys were going to really have a lot of impact this season. No, I think it's 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 pie in the sky thinking to think that two true freshmen who, uh, you know, who who are summer. I guess I suppose Jalen Redmond was there in the fall, but I just it's I think it's always foolish, honestly, to. Um, to expect defensive linemen uh, or freshman defensive linemen to make to make an impact, it was never going to happen. Especially with Jalen Redman, he's only been playing football right for like a handful of years. Yeah, but again, my stance on it is that Oklahoma doesn't have a lot of these great defensive linemen. So when the talent comes in at that spot on that level, of the defense, I think there's more of a chance of those guys making an, an impact than on, than on other teams. Well, you know, there's you know Tatum and Perkins are still there, um, and I and you know I Ronnie Perkins was always the guy who was the most likely to play, I think from the from the get go. So, speaking of and he will. Speaking of Perkins, I was looking at uh, I got I grabbed the Phil Steele college football preview, the first time I've ever bought Phil Steele's uh, preseason magazine, because uh, I figured hey I, I probably should read up on this stuff. Phil Steele's a really good good source for that information uh anyways uh in his uh magazine for ou he actually has ronnie perkins as the projected starter at defensive end for oklahoma which i don't know if he has inside info mm. there but i i just i don't see it but um yeah i don't see that it was either. interesting to see by it. the way did i i don't know did, did i mention on the podcast yet that i'm that i'm really close to admitting i was wrong about the the kenneth Mann starting yet have i mentioned that on the podcast yet i don't believe you have no Okay. Well, on the record, everybody, I I may be evolving on the Kenneth Mann thing. I think I'm. I think I got that one wrong. So, just <laughs> just want to put that out there. Man, I just are we gonna start tallying up all the things that that you're getting wrong? I mean, I think your credibility is starting to wane a little bit. Uh, you need football to start here pretty soon, so you can start to build that credibility back up. My God, do I need football to start so bad? Just. The summer is so boring. I think everyone agrees with yeah. me. Yeah. Uh, anything else uh, OE related, Grant? That that you want to know for media days that I'll try to uh, try to answer that. Uh, I don't know. You, did you see the, were, were you there? Were you around Ben Powers when he said the thing about how he wants to make grown men like cry or something like that, or crush all their dreams? Were you there? Did you see nah, that? I, I didn't see that. Uh, the thing is, that's annoying with uh, the setup and it's good and bad, but they do breakout sessions from like two 30 in the afternoon till four o'clock. So you have like a 90 minute window where they put the coach and then this is the only time where you're able to talk to the players. And so they put the four players at stations and you can kind of just go whenever and talk to whoever you want for that time. And and so there's a you know, unless you sit at Ben Powers' station for 90 minutes, there's you're going to miss stuff. You're going to miss things that he says because you got to bounce around and, and ask your question to each player. So, no, I missed that. Uh, 
Um, when I talked to Ben Powers, I, I asked him about, uh, you know, what kind of film he likes to watch. And he said he likes to watch some old film, you know, against like from last year against the really good teams like Ohio State and and uh, in Georgia. And he likes to watch some real talented, like greats in the NFL at guard. And mm-hmm. so that's that's kind of the film that he likes to watch. And the thing with Ben Powers is Ben Powers is very short uh, with his answers. He, he didn't really elaborate a lot. That's kind of his style. So he's kind of a tough guy to get a uh, soundbite out of. But so I'm kind of. I'm kind of surprised that he provided that good of a soundbite. So, no, I did not hear the uh, – what was it? He wanted to crush people's dreams or something? Yeah, somebody somebody said what's his favorite part of being an offensive lineman, and it's lining up in front of a grown man and, like, crushing his dreams or nice, something like nice. that. Which is – yeah, I mean, it's it's a funny line for sure. I don't know. I was like, oh, I wonder wonder who asked that question. I knew it wasn't, I knew it wasn't you, but – No, it wasn't me. I don't know. All right, let's uh, – Touch on the rest of media days around the Big 12, if anything else is uh, possible or notable, I should say. Honestly, again, I, I stand by it. It was kind of a boring two days in Frisco. Um, you know, I was there. Sounds like the only. Oh, sorry to cut you off. I was just saying, I mean, I was there to cover OU and then also Oklahoma State on Tuesday. And I mean, Mike Gundy kind of finally opened up a little bit about Mike Holder and those recruiting comments. Um, he waited until the very end to finally say something and basically said it was water under the bridge and that holder apologized and it sounds like you know whatever they're moving on so not much of a story there anymore um so you go ahead you were going to say something and i i was i was talking about oklahoma state well i sort of forgot actually never mind i remembered again so i'm just trying to remember so it sounds like um on monday it sounds like gary patterson i saw on twitter a lot of people thought he just gave kind of just a good press conference he said some interesting things of course you know i nobody wrote down what those interesting things were um let's see here it sounds like it pr- pretty much the story of media days ended up being tom herman him being just so weird i guess yeah i, I think so too and the more i looked into it and kind of remembered what it was like the more i came to that conclusion uh so yeah i i got i do have some thoughts on on, on herman and i know also here in the notes uh you mentioned the deshaun elliott stuff about him ripping herman on twitter about i guess talking about him behind his back or something like that yeah i think the 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 rumor is that the the texas like coaching staff was was telling i mean i don't know it's basically behind the back of all of the 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 texas players that that left early the the rumor is that they just kind of just you know talk crap all the time behind their back maybe even to to nfl scouts and stuff like that and deshaun elliott uh, he he left early for the draft the defensive back for texas he got drafted yeah that's and then i think it was like yeah so deshaun elliott had like this kind of like five or six tweet thread where he you know where he's saying you know i'd really appreciate it if you know the the coaching staff at my former school would would stop talking about me and stuff like that and then he he got on this you know the the, whatever the twitter and at the end connor williams uh, replied to it and said something on the lines of like, yeah, I agree or yeah, say it or something like that. Um, and I think there's, there's other stuff. I mean, I think there's, there was rumors last year that like Malik Jefferson absolutely just hates the coaching staff. And, um, I don't know. I mean, is, is there anything to glean from it? No, I'm not going to use this as, as evidence that Texas is a dumpster fire or whatever. I, I, it's just fun to, to pick on Texas and, um, especially that it doesn't, you know, Tom Herman still might be incredibly successful there, but it's sort of starting to look like that it's possible that he won't be. Um, and it's just kind of fun. Um, just, you know, it's always fun to laugh at their expense because that's just a just a very interesting football program. There's just so many politics involved with Texas football, and it's just delicious. I love it. Yeah, it, and I agree. It doesn't mean that he's not going to be successful at Texas, but man, I mean, he comes in at the same time Lincoln Riley comes in and and now we have this and more drama. And, and you mentioned Malik Jefferson last year. I mean, there's 
there's none of that stuff around the Oklahoma football program. Zero. And in fact, at it's, least it's not that we know. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, if there is, it's being it's being kept uh, under wraps. And it's there sure there sure used to be stuff like that when Jerry Schmidt was still the strength coach. But the uh, but the, uh, the point being, though, is is it seems like the op- the opposite of Oklahoma. It seems like the players really enjoy uh, the setup. I mean, the the recruiting is the way that Oklahoma makes people feel and, and the way they, they kind of put them all up on a I don't know if this is the right term, but put them on a pedestal and make them feel like they really are, are wanted. And I mean, we're not getting any of that stuff at Oklahoma uh, again. And, you know, if it's happening, we don't know about it. So my thoughts, though, on, on Herman is, yeah, the more I've thought about it, the more I've kind of reflected on that media day's appearance. I got to say the dude's the dude's kind of weird. I you know, I really like him as a coach. I think Texas was probably better than its record last season. I mean, what were they 7 and 6 or something like that and I you know that, oh, their defense was really their offense was trash last year. Mm-hmm. They they were really good on defense yeah, last year. Yeah. He just he doesn't seem very media savvy. And uh, you know, the question that he got from Kirk Bowles uh, from the Austin American Statesman about having elite players on his team, uh, that was a good question. Uh, it was more of those straight-to-the-point questions. And, you know, if you haven't seen it, I I, I urge you to go on to, to Twitter or go online and, and look it up. I mean, Herman paused. I mean, after he paused for more than five seconds. I think it was time to like six or seven seconds. And I remember sitting there, you know, because I was in the crowd and, and I was uh, typing up notes and, and not really watching up on the stage Herman and then I noticed that it was dead silent after Bulls asked the question. It was, I was like wondering, like, what is happening? Like, this is, it got kind of cringeworthy. Uh, and then finally, when Herman said, quote, some, and then he kind of like nervously chuckled a bit, you know, he, he mentioned he was kind of put on the spot. And then he admitted that if he was being honest, that probably more of his players on defense than offense are of the elite type caliber. Like, I mean, that's obviously a true thing to say. But the long pause and then his honesty about the defense and then the offense kind of makes me think, Grant, that he's not confident at all in his offense going into this year. And I, I, think, I, I think Herman – here, I, I got a couple more. I'll, I'll let you jump in. But I, I, yeah, I, I, I think he's – you know, obviously he's an offensive coach. He should be able to find a way to score points no matter what. I mean, this is the same guy who was able to get Ohio State's offense moving back in the day with three different quarterbacks and second – string quarterback third string quarterback and they went on and won a national championship so and none of those guys were particularly great so if if i was a texas fan i wouldn't be very happy with tom herman's appearance at media days and uh, at least at least his appearance there at the main podium so just to play devil's advocate and god this makes me sick i don't even ever want to you know seem like i'm defending texas or anything but the way that the way that you know you interpreted it that you know maybe he had to he had to think about it and maybe that's that's a sign that maybe he just doesn't really have a lot of elite players. I think it's equally as likely that the reason he paused so much was maybe he was thinking, oh crap, what if I, if I say this guy, it might piss off this guy or it might piss piss off this guy. Like it, it could have been more of along the lines of, okay, this actually matters how I answer this question. How should I answer it? Maybe it's maybe it doesn't necessarily mean he doesn't have any elite players, or it's just he he just maybe he thought too hard about the ones that he needed to mention because I mean, yeah, I don't, I don't really think Texas right now has any elite players at all. Um, at least I don't think so, but I mean, he's, I guess. Yeah. I, uh, it, it could I, be, it could, I mean, you know, I disagree though. I mean, they still have really good recruiting classes. So in theory they do have elite players. So I think the problem is that instead of him saying, 
you know, the pause wouldn't be a big deal if he followed up with like, man, we got a lot. We got. A, I, I was just thinking there. I was trying to. I I can't. There's too many for me to mention. You know, something like as as opposed to some, like man, like it just. And yeah, granted, I, like that's fair. It's it's not an easy question to answer. Like I'm not gonna. It's so much. It's so much easier to answer it in our position because we're not being thrown that question and and on the spot. So like I'm I'm not gonna kill him for that. It's just it, it just kind of came off. And you know he was he was honest. The thing is he was a hundred percent honest. I think on that question. And I think you made a good point of like oh maybe he was wondering like I can't name this guy because this guy might get mad. And that's a good point. I uh, but I think ultimately it came off as a very honest answer. And when he mentioned that, the you know, on defense, there's more. I mean, that's true. The defense was really good last year, and it's going to be good again this season. Um, but he's an offensive guy. So, I mean, he's got to figure out the offense. Yeah, uh, I agree. I'm, yeah, so, I mean, I, I suppose we'll see. I mean, he's, he is a weird dude, man. I, I don't um, – I just – this is this is really big season for Texas, man. I, I don't I, I do gotta think because I, I I know Texas fans and I know probably a lot of them were probably pretty uncomfortable with that press conference on Tuesday. Um maybe some of them are starting to think, oh crap, what do we get ourselves into here? Um I, it may be a little maybe a little too early for that, but I mean this is this is big season for Tom Herman. I mean, what if they what if they go six and six again? What happens? Man. I I, I mean if <laughs> What if it's that like USC, the same thing, or, you know, like, yeah, like six and six and the defense is really good, but the offense is awful again, you know, like, and, and he's an offensive coach. It's yeah. Who knows? Like, yeah, I'm curious, man. They got, they, they gotta, they gotta go to Maryland first week of the season and not a lot of people feel good about Maryland, but you got to remember, I mean, they, they kind of fell off a cliff last year because they just lost their three starting, you know, three starting quarterbacks. They were fully healthy against Texas last year, the season opener, and they whooped them, whooped them. Mm-hmm. Um, and now, you know, Texas has got to go to Maryland and then, you know, Two weeks later, they're playing USC. So, and and that, I, I think that that's a game that I think Texas is actually should be favored in. Probably, I think USC is going to take quite a step back this year. Um, but still, I mean, it's, it's it's not a cinch for Texas this year at all, at all. I mean, they 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 have to improve greatly, I think. Or um, it's it, you know, people are going to start getting impatient. Seriously. Well, let's go ahead and shift then now to the the preseason poll and the preseason All Big Twelve team because. Uh, the the media really they're not buying the the texas hype i mean the media picked texas to finish fourth in the big 12 uh number one oklahoma number two west virginia tcu three then texas oklahoma state at five kansas state six seven iowa state eight texas tech nine baylor and of course 10 kansas so the media not really buying into uh a uh, a second year renaissance for Tom Herman in, in Texas. So I think that's kind of interesting because I know going into last year, it seemed like there was a lot of buzz around Herman going into that season, that season opener against Maryland and, you know, they lose the game and they, it just wasn't a good season. So um, Grant, what are your thoughts? <clears throat> excuse me. What are your thoughts on the uh, preseason big 12 uh, poll? Yeah, that was actually the thing I, I probably um, got furthest away. I mean, my, I don't really agree at all with this. I think I may have, the only one I agree with is OU at one and Kansas at ten. To be honest with you, um, I, I don't have my thing in front. I did fill this out, but I, I do know. So I, I was at OU one. Number two for me was TCU, and then Texas. I think I had West Virginia finishing fourth. Um, I think Iowa State sixth. Kansas, uh, Kansas State seventh. Oklahoma State eighth. Um, 
I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm listening. Anyway, so I, I flip. So Texas Tech is eighth. Baylor is ninth. I would flip those. I think Baylor is going to finish ahead of Texas Tech. Kansas State and Iowa State are six and seven. I would flip those. I think Iowa State's going to finish above Kansas State. Um, Oklahoma State. I honestly have no idea what to do with them. I think they're the most. They're probably the most. They have the biggest question mark out of anybody because I just don't know what I'm going to get from them. I think they've, you know, over the last decade, they've sort of separated themselves as obviously the number two program in the Big Twelve, but you know, they they lost a lot of guys. So, um, and I and you know, I'm I, I'm not anywhere near as high on West Virginia as, as other people are, as as I have been very outspoken about. Yeah, you're not high on West Virginia at all, and to this day, their over under win total sits at seven. So Vegas doesn't like West Virginia either. Um, and it's and I, my guess is because their schedule they you know their schedule is pretty difficult and that's why their over under is is so low and that's just the regular season so they have twelve games to win more than seven to 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 win that bet if you go over uh, my preseason poll I had OU one you know me I'm buying into West Virginia I'm buying into the I'm I'm kind of a square when it comes to that um, I have them at two I had TCU uh, hold on time out no I'm, I was looking at the actual Big Twelve poll nope. Uh, Oklahoma, West Virginia. I had Texas at three, Iowa State at four. So I'm clearly way higher on the Cyclones than anybody else. Uh, TCU five. I'm down on the Horn Frogs this year. Oklahoma State six, Tech seven, Kansas State eight, uh, nine Baylor and ten Kansas. Um, you mentioned Oklahoma State. I agree. They they are a huge question mark, and simply it's because of the quarterback spot. Who's going to play the quarterback position? Mike Gundy said that their guy right now is Taylor Cornelius, a fifth year. Uh, I believe he was a walk-on, uh, but he hedged also uh, during his breakout session saying that uh, he's got other guys coming in, and who knows what's going to happen because he's got Spencer Sanders, a four-star true freshman coming in, and he's got Drew Brown, a grad transfer from Hawaii, coming in as well for uh, fall camp. And Taylor Cornelius obviously is the guy that has the most experience with the playbook, uh, but I called my shot back when I found out Drew Brown was making the making the transfer, and I'm going to stick with it. I think I think somehow Drew Brown, with very limited playbook knowledge, and I, th- I think he'll win the job because he'll be the most experienced quarterback. Uh, he, yeah, Hawaii wasn't very good, but uh, I've seen a little bit of his tape. I think he looks pretty good. I think he's going to win the starting how, quarterback job. How about this? I think I think it will be Drew Brown eventually. Is that fair? It's fair because looking at Oklahoma State's schedule, and I don't have it in front of my face. Uh, their first six games are actually pretty darn manageable. Uh, so Taylor Here's, Cornelius uh, let, might, you know, get that start week one. I mean, they do play Boise State though, which is going to be pretty interesting. He's he, Taylor Cornelius is going to start week one. He'll get the start against Boise State. They're going to lose in Stillwater against Boise State, and then Drew Brown is going to take over after that. Calling my shot. And uh, and again, I mean, I'm I'm high on I shouldn't say I'm high on Drew Brown. I just I'm basically I'm betting on the experience and the fact that when there's a grad transfer, especially at quarterback, that guy normally ends up playing. Uh, but Oklahoma State fans, though, they want Spencer Sanders. They want him to win the job or they want him to play as soon as possible and be there, you know, for as many years as possible, because he's one of the most talented quarterbacks they've recruited into Oklahoma State, I think, for a long time, maybe ever. Uh, so and yeah, you know his his track might be similar to like Mason Rudolph too. You know Rudolph was you know played as a true freshman, but he didn't you know he didn't start really until the second half mm-hmm. of of his freshman year. And so it, it's possible that Spencer Sanders is kind of on the same track as well. So that's the poll um, again. I'm I'm kind of surprised that Iowa State was picked to finish so low because um, I mean they have their starting quarterback returning. They got the, probably the best running back next to Rodney Anderson in the Big Twelve and David Montgomery. Uh, they have a I know they lose Alan Lazard, but they have a, another 
pretty good receiver coming back. Hakeem Butler, guy's really Butler's good. Butler's good. And on the offensive line, I think they have three returning starters. And on the defense, I think they have like five or six guys back. And that defense is really good with, you know, three-star players. And I know their recruiting class is a little bit better than normal coming in. Granted, these are, these are freshmen, so maybe it won't affect it that much. But um, I just have confidence in Matt Campbell and that coaching staff. I, and, and their schedule, actually, I think, is not bad. I think it, it, it's, a, it's a schedule that they can – I don't know. We'll, we'll see. I mean, they get Oklahoma at home. They're, they're going to lose to Oklahoma unless it's another huge upset. But, I mean, I'm, we've talked about that a couple weeks or a month or two ago. I mean, I am, I am concerned about that Big 12 opener in Ames against Iowa State, 100%. I, I, I think Iowa State's going to be a good football team this year. And yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's absolutely their toughest game of, of the opening month. I mean, that's, that's not even – well, I mean, it, it is a question. I think, I think Florida Atlantic is actually probably a better team than Iowa State. Um, but – Mm-hmm. You know, uh, going on the road is 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 always tough, especially in your Big Twelve opener. So um, at least it's an eleven a.m. game that helps. I don't have much else to add as far as the poll goes. Uh, six Sooners made the All Big Twelve preseason team: Rodney Anderson, Marquise Brown, Grant Calcaterra, Bobby Evans, Ben Powers, and Austin Seibert. Uh, Seibert making it at kicker and punter. And I actually voted for him at kicker and punter. I think that kind of came off as a default spot. Um, at running back, my uh, the, my running backs I picked were uh, Anderson and Montgomery, and they asked for a fullback in the uh, the poll, and I just left it blank because there's like no fullbacks in this conference that I really remember that are that are worthy. I mean, with Dimitri Flowers gone, and I think there was another fullback, maybe I w- Winston Demmel. Okay, was the from other Kansas, guy at State, Kansas State, yeah, he's, he's gone. gone too. So I think a lot of people cheated this, and they instead of putting a fullback, they put another running back in, and I think that's basically how Justice Hill made the all big 12 team and i'm not saying just Hill's a bad player because he's a good player but if there's only two running backs on this team i think it's anderson and montgomery and i think justice hill was kind of a the the big 12 announced that they they added a third running back spot because there was a tie or something but i think a lot of people just use the fullback slot to put another running back in but whatever it's the preseason poll so there's no reason and yeah and 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 when you say it's not, it's not like, you know, Justice Hill doesn't deserve it. I've been a little hard on Justice Hill, maybe saying he's, but Justice Hill is a, is a good player. You know, he's, I think he's obviously in the first tier of running backs in the Big 12. I think he's the third um, best. I think, I mean, I, if they have yeah, three I do spots, too. I absolutely, do I think too. he's the third guy. It's just this, this, yeah. this team asked for just two. So yeah. anyways, yeah, I, I guess the one difference I had that is worth pointing out in my poll, I, uh, I actually voted CD lamb, uh, in instead of Marquise Brown for OU. And actually, I put two West Virginia guys on my ballot instead of CeeDee Lamb and Marquise Brown. Obviously, Marquise Brown. I And what I did is I had David Sills and Gary Jennings from West Virginia along with CeeDee Lamb. Now, in actuality, it ended up being Marquise Brown, David Sills, and Denzel Mims from Baylor. I think they were just throwing Baylor a bone. I mean, Mims is a good player. He's like nine feet tall. And uh, Mims is awesome. Uh, Mims he's, is terrifying. He's, he's not awesome. He's he's a he's a nice player. He's a nice player. I I think Denzel Mims is. I I would take Denzel Mims over over Jennings at West Virginia one hundred out of one hundred times. Well, you know, a big pro football focus guy, and and Jennings had I think maybe the best season graded out by all the receivers in the Big Twelve last season. So yeah, he's just, think, he just he just didn't know, score outs- a lot of touchdowns. He's, I think he had like one yeah, touchdown. I think- I think outside of Hollywood, I think Mims is is the most explosive player in in the Big Twelve. Oh no, maybe. no, no! Or, I mean, the, his, explosive wide receiver. No, his um, teammate's more explosive. That got injured last season. The track star. 
I can't even think of his name right now. But um, Chris, Chris Platt. Platt. Yeah, Platt. That guy's more. That guy's more of an explosive player than Denzel Mims. Mims is just like kind of a big, I just, tall, I, throw the ball up, possession type receiver. I, I just, I, com- I, com- I completely disagree with you. I think you're way off base on this one. I think Denzel Mims is maybe a first round NFL draft pick. I, I mean, he might be. I mean, he's got great size, I but I don't, I don't know if he, I think you're wrong. I think anyway, explosive let's, is, let's, the, let's, is the wrong word. But let's let's go back to just like actually, the Big Twelve has an embarrassment of riches at the wide receiver position. I mean, it's insane. They, yes. they actually they should have probably taken tight end off of this and added another wide receiver position. Um, okay there th- this is um, the amount of, of of good wide receivers in this conference is absolutely sickening. And it's it's terrifying. I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> For the record, I uh, I voted two West Virginia receivers instead of two OU receivers because of the quarterback situation. I know more what I'm going to get out of Will Greer than what I'm going to get out of whoever plays quarterback for Oklahoma. And this is just me trying to be intellectually honest. I mean, I obviously I think Oklahoma's offense is going to be really good this year, but I'm not really sure what to expect yet. I'm not sure if they're going to be able to get the ball around as many people as Baker Mayfield was. Uh, I know Will Greer's going to throw the football to David Sills and Gary Jennings a lot this season and other players. So that's why I uh, I put those two instead of two OU guys. So. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think it's I, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility of, you know, Gary Jennings is probably going to lead the Big 12 in, in catches this year. Um, you know, David Sills is probably going to lead it in touchdowns again. I think those are, you know, I it's defensible for sure. Gary Jennings is really good. Uh, so, I mean, don't don't take me the wrong way on that. I just think Denzel Mims is is terrifying and Gary Jennings is not terrifying. Um, so yeah, and I and obviously I have no problem with with Hollywood being on the team. I I, I do think CD is better. Um, but you know, Hollywood is awesome also. So, um, interesting for sure. I, I, you're right. I'm, when I was filling out mine, I was trying to think, you know, should I do this of who I think is going to be there at the end of the year? Should I do it just based off of where we are now? Um, based off where we are now, I think, I, I think this is largely correct. Uh, I think they, they pretty much got the offense exactly correct. And for the most part, the defense is, is correct, except, you know, until you get to the secondary. So that's a good transition to the defense and uh the secondary is the part of the defense on the preseason all big 12 team that i had the most issues with um and mainly it's the fact that two texas tech defensive backs are on this list jashan johnson and justice parker and uh as far as johnson goes uh, pro football focus graded him out as one of the worst defensive backs in the big 12 last year and I know he's a, he's a veteran player, and I think he's made these all Big 12 teams before. So it's one of those things where potentially people just they go back and they see him on certain teams, so they say, oh, he's still playing for Texas Tech. Sure, yeah, he's one of the best DBs in the, in the conference. And, and I, to be fair, I'm not going back and watching old, all the Texas Tech film. You know, I, that's why I took pro football focus so seriously, and that's kind of why I did some research on them because I, I, I like PFF. I, I trust their, their numbers and things like that. Um, I mean, mainly because they graded out Baker Mayfield so high, which is uh, objectively true. He he was probably the best quarterback ever in college football. So, anyways, uh, just to go over my my picks for all Big Twelve in the secondary. Here's who I picked. Uh, these first three all actually made the team: Chris Boyd from Texas, Brian Peavy, Iowa State, Kendall Adams, Kansas State. Uh, the other two players that I voted for in the defensive backfield was Parnell Motley, as I said earlier, and TCU's Nico Small. 
So uh, instead of those two players making it, it was Johnson and Parker from Texas Tech. In fact, three players from Texas Tech made the the preseason All Big Twelve defensive team. The other one was linebacker Dakota Allen. So, uh, Grant, your thoughts on the uh, defensive All Big Twelve preseason team? Yeah, my secondary was actually identical to yours, Lee. Um, I, I was surprised. I thought uh, Chris Boyd, Brian Peavy, and Nico Small were just kind of like the cinches to be in there. So it sort of surprised me that Nico Small didn't get in. Um, I, you know, I, I think Parnell Motley was the only OU defender who was even uh, remotely should have been considered for this. Um, you know, I, I thought he should have been on there over the Texas Tech guys, but you know, it is what it is. Like, like Kenneth Murray said in his, you know, in his audio, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter at all. The only one that does is, is at the end of the season. I, I'm glad you brought up Lee the, uh, the point. You know, the people just see Deshaun Johnson on these lists, and they just kind of. So that just means he's just always going to be on there. You've just described Lee the Travis Lewis effect, and um, by that and, you mean just, by that you mean what? Well, I don't know. I, I'm wondering if anyone if anyone listening to this is just like kind of nodding along. And this isn't to rip on Travis Lewis. I'm just he's probably the most overrated player relative to you know like his. Okay, he's the most overrated player I think in the Bob Stoops era. I think that's almost pretty. And there's not really anyone I'm thinking off the top of my head. And I know Travis Lewis was, you know, was a backup in the NFL for a couple years, but man, that guy just didn't really produce in college, and he got a lot of accolades for not really any good reason. But I don't know. That's my Travis Lewis thing. I, I know he's a Sooner, but still, he just he was never really that much of a difference maker. Yeah, you know, my my thoughts on Travis Lewis might be the same as a lot of Sooners fans. I just recall him being being pretty good his freshman season, and, and thinking, man, this guy. I mean, he's a freshman, so he's he's young, and he's. He's looking pretty good. He's he's a good player. So I mean, I can't wait to see how he progresses. And then he just never really seemed to get much better. And he was kind of a guy that plateaued. And uh, that's kind of my thoughts. That's my memories of Travis Lewis at Oklahoma, a guy that continued to play and start, but uh, really the fr- his, seemed like his freshman year was almost the highlight of his his career at Oklahoma. So uh, that is that is almost certain. All right. Um, Offensive player of the year, Will Greer, no surprise there. Ben Banigou, defensive player of the year, uh, preseason. Uh, newcomer of the year, the only Sooner, uh, I guess technically, I guess technically they did get one player defensively, uh, Buki. Buki was on the list, not on the defensive team, but as the newcomer of the year. And those three players are the exact three players that I voted for in my ballot as well. Uh, pretty interesting that it's not just Oklahoma media and Oklahoma fans that are recognizing that Buki Radley Hiles uh, could be one of the best, if not the best freshman uh, in this conference, this upcoming season. Yeah. It's, I mean, the, the hype has been off the charts. I mean, you'd have to be, you have to bury your head in the sand if you cover college football to not, you know, to not be aware of that at this point. So um, I don't know, Lee, is there any, so here's, I, I actually wrote this in here cause I think this is going to you know create an interesting discussion. Is there? I think we've already said that you know they they kind of got it right for a preseason list. Lee, do you who who will and who won't or who will or who won't be here at season's end? And I, I just mostly want to talk about OU players. Who do you who do you think are there any OU players who are not on here that you think have a pretty good chance of being on here at the end of the year? Um, let's see, man. I mean, I think the easy one is is Kyler Murray. If if Will Greer falters and West Virginia loses some games and, and Murray does step in and, and have a great year in, in Lincoln Riley's system, obviously that's a guy that you could see being the, the first-team quarterback. Um, I mean, Rodney being there makes sense. I, I mean, I guess 
I can't. I mean, it's it, they're not going to take running backs from two teams. Like it's hard to imagine Trey Sermon and Rodney Anderson both being on this list. Something you know, something like that. Uh, I suppose. I mean, if C.D. Lamb has a better year than Marquise Brown, I could see C.D. Lamb on this list instead of Marquise Brown. Um, and then I suppose, you know, you could have a dark horse offensive lineman that that maybe we don't see coming. Cody Ford, Cody Ford sure. I know I'm kind of being wishy washy with this, but no, I mean it's. When you look at the positions and you, you realize that there's certain positions that 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 have already been accounted for, that it's hard to see somebody else taking. Um, I guess that's offense. Defensively, sure. I mean, I I could definitely see. I mean, Buki being in the starting and, and def- defensive backfield, definitely. Yeah, let's just say if, if 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 Buki is the defensive newcomer of the year, Buki is going to be on the first team yeah. defense. I think that's pretty. Yeah. Uh, I mean. Again, I, I'm hoping Parnell Motley gets better at, at pass coverage and, and whatnot. I mean, I think he could be a defensive back on the list. Um, and, you know, who knows? Maybe maybe somebody like Trey Brown actually ends up starting and playing a lot of minutes or a lot of games for Oklahoma. Here's, here's maybe even a more just a more interesting question to make the conversation more interesting. What – and I'm just thinking of the, the, the defense here. What is best case scenario for Oklahoma? Like what this, you know, what this list looks like at the end of the season. What do you think best case scenario for OU? What is this? What does this list look like? Because I, I definitely have something. Okay, in mind. Uh, I'll say defensive line, Amani Bledsoe and or Marquise Overton on that list. I'm sorry, I'm just I'm not buying Neville Gallimore until I till I see so it. So you didn't see Neville Gallimore being number three on Bruce Feldman's freak, freaks list. I did not see that, no, because I, I don't subscribe to the athletics, so I don't, uh, I don't see Bruce Feldman. Well, I think, yeah, well, the whole point was that he like he can he can like I don't know he can squat like eight hundred pounds and he runs a four seven was the was why he's a freak. Yeah, that's great. That's great. I mean, I I hope he, he is. Lifts, he lifts he lifts weights really well. <laughs> he lifts the state of Texas, or he lifts like a old dune buggy. Um, yeah, I just, I mean, I'll believe it when I see it with Neville Gallimore. He's an incredibly nice guy, and I wish, I hope he has a great season because, again, I, he works so hard, and he just seems like such a nice dude. Like, I'd love to see him have a great year. I just, I'll believe it when my eyes see it. Uh, that's what I see at the D-line. Obviously, at linebacker, um, I mean, if, if Kenneth Murray makes the list, that'd be great. I mean, Caleb Kelly, what happened to him, man? I mean, what net Big 12 football media days wasn't one of the players that was – Asked to be there. Uh, I mean, he's he was a five-star player. I mean, Caleb Kelly needs to have a good season. It's going to be really interesting to see what type of season he has. I mean, that's very interesting. That's that's one of the kind of one of the more intriguing storylines on the defense. I think coming into this season, um, Caleb Kelly. Uh, let's 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 say it. He had a sophomore slump last year. He he wasn't great last year. So uh, you know, let's see if that was because he was playing out of position. I think it it may be. I think he's he's going to be he's much more natural at the will spot. So we'll see, but yeah, big season for Caleb Kelly, obviously. So yeah, those are my thoughts on the you know, best case scenario for the the defense for OU at the end of the season. What what were your thoughts on it? Yeah, uh, best case. I mean, if uh, best case for sure is Neville Gallimore being on that on that first. If if, if Neville Gallimore is a first team All Conference defensive lineman, this defense is going to be is going to be good. I mean, I think that's um, so. Yeah, I, I, Gallimore on the defensive line, I think is is best case. Uh, for you know, and linebackers, I'm thinking like someone like Addison Gums being there as a linebacker, or um, uh, or or just Kenneth Murray in the middle, and then you know like Motley or Buki in the in the secondary. I'm just like, yeah, I mean if 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 this defense can produce you know three or four All Conference caliber players at you know 
at different levels of the defense, I think that's going to be a really huge deal. Um, I think a lot of people are, are, are concerned about safety and whatnot, and I totally understand that. Um, I, I not as worried. I think I think whoever they put in there for Will Johnson, I think is going to be a big upgrade. Um, I've I've been very outspoken about it. I, Will Johnson and Emmanuel Beal are I don't think are guys that you can have starting at Oklahoma if you want to win a national championship. Um, so, and 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 thankfully the, you know this year I think you know guys who are going to be taking over their roles are going to be a lot more talented. So it's going to be interesting, uh, interesting for sure. Um, I I know one quick way to I know to you know to at least you know, accrue a lot of stats, and that's just to be a lot more aggressive defense. And I, I hope that's what we see. That's all the thoughts I have on this Big 12 preseason, all uh, all Big 12 preseason team. I cannot nail that. Uh, anything else you want to add? No, I'm just I, – I generally think media days is largely pointless and irrelevant, It's uh, except just to signal that football season is almost here. And um, as, you know – as that, I, I think it was a successful week, and um, it's good. They, I don't think there was any, there was no blowups, there were no huge controversies or anything, and like you said, kind of at the beginning, they stayed on message, um, and I and I think you know it was good. I, I think Lincoln Riley continues to be just a really impressive guy, um, and I thought you know I thought all the players were impressive also. I thought they were well spoken, um, and they did a good job. I thought they did a really good job representing the university. And the, and the athletic program. Oh, one more thing. Uh, one more thing before we wrap it up. I know this has been a long. This one more, it was probably our longest podcast. So um, hopefully this has been worth the wait for everybody. I have one final story about Big Twelve football media days about uh, Lincoln Riley and yours truly. And I don't think I've told you this one yet, Grant. So like, here's the here's the scenario. So breakout interviews. So we all gather around Lincoln Riley. It's obviously super packed. And I going in, I had one question I really wanted to ask Riley. Really, two questions because it was kind of a follow up. And I I knew he wasn't really going to ask or answer the first one. It was supposed to be kind of like a joke question, and then kind of lead into like more of a serious one. And it was in regards to the whole Georgia thing. And he was asked about the Georgia comments at his main podium presser, and he didn't back away from. Him. He said what he said, and the whole thing was, uh, you know, as as we all know, is that if you just saw the whole context, the whole quote, the whole soundbite, he never said anything bad about Georgia. He was just saying facts about how uh, the Big Twelve has really good offenses, and it'd be really difficult to have a top five defense playing in that conference. And and I think you and I and anybody that watches college football would agree with that. And so it was a media. Uh, I don't want to use controversy because it wasn't a controversy but it was it was blown up by sec fans and sec media just because it's the summertime sure and so anyways i wanted to ask riley like more about that and so about five minutes or so into his breakout uh press conference i i said coach um i know you said you touched on the georgia comments during the the press conference and you're very clear that you meant no ill will at all towards georgia and you were just trying to say positive things about the Big 12 Conference. Uh, so I'm just curious, though, uh, given his history, have you shook Bob Stoops' hand or given him a high five at all since the comments, knowing that it was like a joke he kind of – and Riley just kind of looked at me and said, nope, I, sorry, I don't have, any, don't have any stories to tell you there. Just like – not wanting to do anything about it. And so I said, okay, well, I got a f- one more follow-up. Um, what had uh, or what did former Georgia assistant coach and now your current assistant coach, Shane Beamer, have to say about uh, those comments, if, if anything at all? And 
he just said, well, nothing, nothing really. He, he read the whole quote and, you know, he just kind of knew what I was saying and just was real short and just wouldn't. So basically I just got the Heisman. I got Heisman by Lincoln Riley on my, uh, my Georgia questions. Cause he, uh, clearly did not want to say anything else to create any sort of, uh, talking points, I guess, with that scenario. Ask better questions. That's pretty simple. Ask better uh-huh. questions. I thought those were two really creative questions, but they did not get the answers I was hoping for. I I, I think you should have had the foresight to know that any anybody bringing up Georgia in any sort of context was going to annoy that crap out of them. And that's why I was trying to ease it with the Bob Stoops thing at the start. Yeah, but I know. I mean, I think... Here's I, my thing. I think if, if he knew who I was... I think if he knew who I was or if I had more of a, a standing, I think he would have been a little more receptive to it. I just think I'm just some random guy that was yelling a question at him and a big scrum. So we'll work on that. We'll work on that, Coach, moving forward. So that's the story of uh, my Lincoln Riley question at Media Days. Uh, again, I went for it. Failed. Well done. All right. That's all for today. Actually, uh, Oklahoma has – their official like media day this Sunday. <laughs> so not even a week after a big 12 football media days, they have their meet the Sooners slash media day Sunday, July 22nd, which seems rather early, which to me means that Lincoln rally just wants to get it over with and move on to fall camp, which starts in like two weeks. So uh, we'll be back next Wednesday, our normal time with the latest on OU football. We'll see if anything significant comes out of this new media day, which is this upcoming Sunday. Until next time, for Grant, I'm Lee. This is West of Everest.